Driven Society Podcast. This is Franz Bowen. This is Trav Weeks. Yes, sir, and with another episode of the Driven Society Podcast, we have another family member in the building today. Yes, sir. You know what I'm saying? My man pulled up looking very California. <laughs> <laughs> shorts. Facts. You know what I'm saying? And the hoodie. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you don't know how to move out there. It's just crazy. But we had with us... Uh, Cultural curator and strategist, uh-huh. okay. Mr. Michael okay. Tom. Thank you, thank you. You're far too kind. Nah, it's a pleasure to be here, bro. Thank you. It's been a minute we've been trying to set this up. Yo, so yeah. I'm yeah. Like, like, yeah. very happy this worked Like out. six months or some shit. Maybe longer than that. I don't even know. Yeah, but um, minute, we always talk about like how we meet our guests. I'm trying to think the exact time we actually met, bro. Um, I know what it was. Uh, when uh, when Clay, my boy, Ant. Had to join that um, at the there you go. Space. For sure, absolutely. Yeah, my brother, the fashion, fashion, yeah, he, so he's, he's killing a, it. Beast, shit, man, shit, yeah, we gotta reach out to him, tell him to pull up one of these days. Yeah, he sure. has a great story for y'all. So. Yeah, absolutely. He's interesting because I actually uh, grew up with him partly in Jersey. Like, right. I remember playing ball with him when he was a young boy. Really? Like, yeah, like I was cool with his sister. We went to the same high school. Turn around and he, you know, I always. I'm, I'm, I admire people who are able to like navigate their way in New York City, especially from you out out of town. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and um, people, period, who get to navigate, who navigate their way in the cultural space, and you know, really like put on for the arts. Um, one of the reasons why you why you're on here, bro. You know what I'm saying? So, as I know, I know Mikey as like man, just the the cultural just curating genius. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like he he's, he knows how to build community. Yes, sir. It, nah, take it. take it, bro. He knows how to build community. He knows how to put on for visual artists and artists, period. He's been doing this for some while. He's always been passionate about it. And he also has been able to like leverage his um, community-based um, movement and leverage his cultural insight into the corporate space, which is a very tricky transition for a lot of people. And he's he's legit been doing it for years and, and, and to come up in New York City. So you guys got to know who he is. So. Yeah. Let's take it a bit back and like, you know, tell us uh, you know, just how where you're from, originally where you're from and you know, what what really introduced you into the art space and the creative space. Yeah, I mean, one, thank you again, bro. Like I think something all three of us probably come into spaces when people introduce you or big you up to somebody and you're like, Oh shit, that is that is that me? Yeah. And this year and the last year I've been focused on accepting those gifts and being like, Yes, that is that is that is you, bro. Take those sure. take those blessings that uh, Trav just gave me. So thank you. Yes, sir. Um, art and culture have been something that have just been intertwined in my life and my upbringing, my whole life from the start. My father, uh, God rest his soul, was a visual artist, not by profession but by passion. Mm-hmm. You know, he could draw any of us in this room right now in wow. probably under ten minutes, and it'd be like, oh shit, like that should be up somewhere. You wow. know, but I never really understood how much of a gift that was. On, until the end of his life, like how big of a deal that really was. Mm-hmm. Um, my mother, uh, my pops from the Bronx. My pops from the Bronx. My mom's is from uh, Erie, Pennsylvania, but she was in New York. They met out here. Um, so I was born in Manhattan, but grew up in Brooklyn. First in Park Slope, then in Bed Stuy. Went to Brooklyn Tech. Um, never really thought that I would be doing anything in art uh, full time. But looking back, it all makes sense, right? Like, mm-hmm. like my mom's a graphic designer, self-employed for the last twenty years. Um, doing graphic design. Wow. Really? Yeah, yeah. That's and amazing. I know, bro, my first internship was doing timesheets and helping oh. her with her business, not realizing, you know, and I'm, we're in the style at this point, and now I, I, I look back and I could see, like, looking outside, but, like, being up in her office, I'm like, 
yo, you really, get, that's a blessing, one, to keep right. me from being outside. Find me, teach me how to put money in my pocket through these avenues and ways. You know, she did the corporate thing for a minute, but then when her mom, my grandmother, passed away um, in, two, in 2000, she was just like, I'm going to just do this full time. And I remember the first iMac she had. Back, and, it, and it's funny, we just seen Alex Wolf. Yeah. I'm thinking about it, but I always think about the evolution of technology and things. But uh, she had that first green iMac in the crib, and I remember like learning how to type and all that shit in the house. So um, it's been something that's been around. You know, She has like Keith Haring and Romare Bearden and different artworks that I've seen my whole life, but I never really understood the gravity of like what I was looking at. Um, skip a, I'll skip ahead a little bit, but went to Brooklyn Tech was a media, media studies and all that, did that in college. And while in school, I started this platform called the Culture LP, which is my baby to this day is from 2012 so it stands for culture lifestyle and progress and um we are an arts consultancy dedicated to empowering creators of color so and beautifying spaces so what that could look like is exhibition planning cultural programming um as well as like marketing content uh, we've made murals for businesses things of that nature working with the artist partners that we that we're lucky enough to be able to collaborate with nice. um but i've also the, so i've always kept it as a side hustle um at first, it seemed like a weakness, right? It felt like, you know, you're scared to jump out and do this full time. But now looking back, back to our conversation just out there, um, working advertising for the last seven or eight years out of school has groomed me in a way that, one, working with artists in cities like New York, D.C., L.A., um, and doing events and things like that with them gives you a sense of actual culture and a pulse to, like, what's going on. But then having this corporate job um, corporate jobs over the years kind of gives you that language that you need to talk in these rooms or to present in these spaces. Yep. But being from somewhere like Brooklyn and taking a train as a kid from Utica to 207th Street and, and walking over the bridge with my pops from Dykeman to, to the Bronx, you see people, like you actually understand how people in different cultures like work, right, growing up somewhere like this. So I think that's just something that's been bred in me. And uh, I'm excited now that we're out in LA to kind of see what that world has for us in store. You know, sure. but um, but yeah, that's some of the details. I guess work-wise, you know, I just left uh, a job at the Brooklyn Museum. I was their senior marketing manager uh, for two years there, wow. handling the advertising and partnerships, getting to work with wonderful collectives like you know, yourselves and Black Creatives and Mem Connect, and yeah. as well as our media partners like Time Out and New York Times and things of that nature. So, kind of being that same voice of like, okay, what's happening? in the culture, like where your, your millennial target is not like just on essence.com. You want to reach black people, like let's talk about reaching black people, right? For sure. So being able to do that work for the museum, but before that I was at agencies and now I'm doing some freelance consulting work with agencies as well as working more on the culture LP. So nice. it's kind of the then to now. I was definitely long winded, but I'll take it. It's a lot, a lot of life in a short time, I guess. For sure, for sure. Yeah, while you was at um, Brooklyn Museum, there was, um, uh, exhibition and I don't know why Soul of a Nation Soul of a Nation yep. which yep. was super fire yep. right? absolutely and we got to work on thank you brother Word. thank yeah, you thank opportunity you for sure and um yeah there was so many different like moving pieces there I remember like looking at I think it was the Fred Hampton door mm -hmm. like that really like stuck out to me but one thing that was the thing that on top of that that stuck out to me was just the crowd I was in to see it that day, right 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 can you talk a little talking bit about for that preview yeah word can you talk a little bit about like the the curation of that the the process of it and also like what it means to what was the the target because there were a lot of notable noteworthy individuals mm -hmm. in the room can you talk a little bit about um you know kind of the the impact of that and what you guys were hoping for 
and a little bit about the um, the exhibition as well. Absolutely, yeah. Um, that was a great project to be able to be a part of. Obviously, a spot like Brooklyn Museum, there's dozens of sets of hands that go into something like that, and uh, it wouldn't be anything without those teams from the curator, Ashley James, um, you know, to operations and security, you know, working early that morning because we had influencers coming in, so definitely a big effort. But um, one thing about that show, which I'll, I'll note, is that it actually originated from an institution um, in the UK, or in, yeah, in the, at, at the Tate, the Tate Modern. So Zoe Whitley and um, her counterpart, you know, they're going to probably listen to this and they might not. I forget his name. His name is Mark. I forget his last name. Um, but they actually curated that show mm-hmm. and with the intent of touring it, right, and right. taking it to different <clears throat> institutions. Um, so it's a survey of black contemporary art, um, but from a lens that was in London, which is, you know, it's, it's different, right? Like it's a different institution. It's for a different audience. So I think what Ashley and the team did a great job of was reshaping the narrative a bit, like the same content and the same work, but putting, uh, making it rele- relevant for the Brooklyn audience, for the audience here that this isn't a new topic. We talk about black history, civil rights movement. Those things are, we talk about that all the time. Mm-hmm. That's our history, <clears throat> right? So she made it clear that there was like a geographical impact of these different artists, like the artists in the Bay Area where you had the black power movement mm-hmm. originate. We're doing different type of work than the artists in Chicago that were doing large murals and, you know, um, li- uplifting the, the vision of, you know, maybe a music artist or doing a mural of someone who's, who's famous and in a neighborhood where they're trying to spread positivity versus New York City where you had the Harlem scene with the f- photography collectives that were going on. So she really pulled into those lo- the locality of that over time, which I thought was really powerful. And no matter what your vantage point on black history was, you still got to learn something, you know, through the mm-hmm. lens of art, which I thought was really dope. Um, so there were yeah there's definitely over 100 works in that show and you know all the wall text all that stuff that's handled by our curatorial actually the team etc but our team is tasked with was tasked with former employee <laughs> which is great um our team is tasked with you know what's the strategy who we want to reach etc and um i really felt like you know we we wanted that that history that culture to resonate with anybody whether they were into art or not so uh, one of the things I realized when I got there was a lot of our influencer outreach, um, though it was dope and it was impactful, it was a lot of it was focused on the art world um, in the sense of, you know, there's a bunch of pages and profiles and people that share about art exhibits, things sure. of that nature, pop-ups, museum shows, whatever. Yep. And then of course, it makes sense to tap those or tap people by specific topics of art, et cetera. But um, I realized what I, what I wanted to make sure was clear was as we know, as people that make culture, consume culture, mm-hmm. is that the people that are really moving and shaking in a space, you probably don't know who they are. Right. They're one away from the, the person. You might not be, we're not looking for uh, insert large artist, visual uh, music artist name here. Right. We don't want them, we want their manager. I want their, yeah. I want their stylist there. I want, you know what I'm saying? I want the woman who produces the conference, not the person who speaks to the panel, right? Because they are the ones with that black book. They're the ones who, yep. the actual famous people, when they only follow 70 people, they're yeah. one of the 70 people they follow. Because Absolutely. So that was part of the strategy. And that's why when you said that, it was like, you know, folks like yourself, uh, Kenji, who I just saw um, at Heel House, you know, yep. people that might have a follower account that goes under the radar of, you know, the typical influencer agents. Exactly. I think we right? got the, um, the brownies there. Yep, absolutely, which y'all were able to bring out, exactly. the museum for Scotty, that was cool. Oh, yeah, because they couldn't make it to the preview, they came another day, that was fire. But Alex came through. Yep, uh, Alex came. um, um, uh, 
Ofo, yeah. the landlords. Yeah, met, it was, yeah, it was a really man. dope community. Yeah, so we were able to bridge the museum, who the museum had, who <clears throat> DS had, you know, and, and think about, and then, you know, you working with uh, Anthony to capture those yeah. sound bites, right? Like, so that idea to make this more accessible for people where it's not just, oh, okay, so there's pictures of pretty people at an art show. Like, that's cool. It was like, no, what do you think about this? What was your favorite piece? You know, what, what would you say about this show to somebody? And then using that on social media, on paid social, having a little waveform, you know, the audio clips, something that you might just catch somebody who might, you know, might never have thought of coming, but it, somebody they recognize, it resonates with them. So that was cool, man. We were able to kind of shake it up with that. And we had a physical portion of that, which we worked with um, Kiana and Jana from Black Market Vintage um, to curate the photo vignette, which we had at Afropunk previous to the show, which was cool. Um, So the the museum was able to capitalize on earned media because everybody wanted to take that photo in the peacock chair, Mm -hmm. you know, from Black Market Vintage with the vinyl backdrop and the, the black art books to the right of it which let them tell their story in their own way. We didn't dictate a caption. We didn't, you know, it was just, hopefully they use the hashtag, but if not, if you're posting, you're at the museum, like that's all we need, you know, that's all you really need. So um, having that experiential portion and then having Ashley there to actually give some context to the show um, for attendees was cool. So I think the strategy was, like I said, was really, I guess we want to hit the art world, but we want to hit those people that are, you know, on a radio show or, you know, moving and shaking and styling people and producing events, doing marketing for musicians um, to really get to the culture, like to really get to the culture versus people who are already in the know. Because sure. they're going to come. Absolutely. They're going to come. For sure. What I found on too, because you're known for like um, empowering these independent artists from like, you know, working around Draper mm-hmm. and just different individuals. Um, when you come across an artist that you decide to work with and, you know, provide that platform, what about that artist like really speaks to you? What what do you look for when you decide to you know really work with a yeah artist? Um, I was introduced to Omi Ron, who I was with today, which is dope. Um, through my friend Shadavia and Siobhan, and um, me and Ron met before his first show. Before well, he did a group show, I think. I think he did a group show. Which if you know Ron, ask him about it. Ask him about his group show experience uh, <laughs> in 2012 or 2013. But um, so when I met Ron. To me, it was so, and that's the first artist I formerly was like working with. When I first started the CLP, I, you know, I shot a video of my homie Oompa, who is actually doing a thing in Boston. She's still an MC, but I, I, I took a video of her and our friend Will just doing spoken word at campus about like microaggressions. I just, for whatever reason, we we wanted to speak about that. You mm-hmm. know, Bucknell University, super white, mm-hmm. um, good school, but like you know how that goes. For sure. So, but anyway, back to Ron. Super hustler, motivated Harlem dude through and through, even though, you know, it's Brooklyn uh, to the casket closes, but he's still an uptown guy. I respect him. <laughs> but his, uh, his hustle is pretty unmatched, right? And he just had this grind about him. If you look at the early work, it wasn't anything, like, super jaw-dropping, I'll be honest. And I would tell him that now. He'll hear it and, and be like, you're right. <laughs> um, but his hustle, like, he was making that work in his house. You know, no studio. Then, you know, then he got the basement, opened up the basement, was learning how to cut and do freehand, you know, with the saw and doing these large cutouts. And then, you know, fast forward two years, he's in his own studio in Harlem, I mean, in the Bronx, 2014. But that same spark, that like vibrancy, that energy was just there. Um, I only right now work with a very small group of artists just because of all the stuff we were talking about earlier. But another one is Amani Shanklin Roberts. You know, the thing for me, she went to Pratt, she's from DC, she went to Pratt, got her BFA, her MFA, so Bachelor's of Fine Arts and Master's of Fine Arts there. And um, 
But what I learned about her work, I saw it at Havana Outpost for the first time, actually. Wow. I didn't met her. I saw her work on the wall, and I was, you know, the early stages of, well, I'm still in the early stages, I would say, but, you know, really just getting started out wanting to even support artists in a professional sense. And uh, saw her work on the wall, and I hit her up, like, yo, let's chat. I don't remember what I said. I was just like, your work is strong. When she told me she does these paintings, she does these, like, photorealistic oil portraits, so they look like a photo, but she doesn't sketch or anything before she goes to canvas, like on the actual paper. She's mm -hmm. looking at a photo reference, looking at this. She might put some marks down with the paint, but like she's not drawing you, then painting over the drawing. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's crazy. <laughs> like that shit is, wow. that's like your next level. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, one take Timmy and shit. Like that is crazy. So I was like, okay, this is in you. Like, mm -hmm. so it's it's got to be something like that. Like, you know, and, um, Patrick Eugene, uh, another artist I work with, he um, he just wakes up and meditates and paints. Like, it's in him. He can't not paint. You know what I'm saying? It's like, okay, so they, looking back at the three people, I've never really thought about this, but thank you for the question. It's like, all right, there's that hustle and that drive, which all three of them have. Mm -hmm. There's that innate, like, desire to make shit. Like, if I can't, if I don't wake up and make something today or this week, it's going to show up somewhere. Like, I got to make something. It's not a hobby. Right. right? Even if it's not my profession, it's not a hobby. And sure. then, you know, just that uncanny talent, talent, there's got to be some sort of talent there. Like, um, that is, I can't teach that. I'm not going to be able to find somebody to teach that. Um, they either go to school for it, like Amani, or probably, she's probably natural because her, her father's also a painter. Wow. Um, so, you know, those, those three things. And then I also work with Bianca Romero, who's a super dope muralist. Um, she used to, does some abstract works as well, like smaller works that you could purchase, but you know, she just has that hustle about her where she's like ready to get it done, always ready to get it done. Like we could talk about the work, mm -hmm. the way curators talk about the work, but that's not really what drives, draws me to people necessarily. Um, so I would say it's that drive, that talent. Dope, dope. Yeah, man. Um, and the Culture LP is the platform you decided to create to be this, to be the, the vehicle for it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And um, you have a couple verticals, I mean, the party series, Never Sleep. Yeah. Um, Let's talk about, like, you know, what was the inspiration behind that? And you linked with the homie Fab. Big that, ups. You know what I'm saying? Fab legit probably has spun, like, what, 90% of our parties from us? <laughs> yeah. 95%? Fab, and killed every single one? Yeah, sure I think, I don't bad. know what party it was. Even though she tried to take you out low-key a few weeks ago. What you mean? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it well. She handed me a vape. Um, I almost lost a lung yeah. here. <laughs> Yo, you see the news. Yeah. Right, <laughs> yeah, <man. laughs> but that's not um, for real, man. She's super uber multifaceted, talented, yeah, yo. Fab is definitely one of them. Yeah, like DJ, just a dope human being. A bad producer when she feels like it. You know? Really, though, because when I first knew, actually, I first met Fab through um, social media, Instagram, and I remember she was doing this event. It was called the Maha Club. Right, 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 right. And. Um, I think I looked with her, I was like, yo, I was telling her, like, yo, big ups on that and everything. And um, I got to see her evolve, and then I got to see, you know, the work you guys were doing. Word. I just thought it was just, like, really dope. Um, so, yeah, talk about the Culture LP. What was, you know, the inspiration behind it? How, you know, how you plan on growing it in the next few years? Absolutely. Um, so, the Culture LP originally, like I said, I came up with the idea while I was still at Bucknell. Mm -hmm. um, but it didn't really crystallize, I would say, till that summer afterwards. So, my co-founders... Uh, Jasmine Henderson and Pavel Konoplenko, who Jazzy ended up, you know, stepping away from the business. She's doing her thing, running um, an amazing business out of New Orleans right now oh, for okay. small businesses, doing marketing, things like mm -hmm. that, full yeah. service. Um, but uh, we, 
myself, Pavel, still still running the business. Um, have a few teammates that are helping us out, uh, Saida, Stephanie, and uh, we've had interns over the years, which have been great. Uh, but for me, and it's great that we had, the reason I scheduled this convo is because like, I've gotten some clarity, no longer have this full-time job. I have no press that I've done since leaving, but everybody, so people still think I work there. Right, I'm like, right. let me have a conversation with people where right. I can actually unpack what's going on. But with the Culture LP, what I really would like it to be akin to is if you look at what Motown did for soul music, right? And Motown, like, I'm sorry, um, what Motown the late as a label did for soul music, like think about mm. how does what does that look like for visual art and black mm. black visual art specifically. So mm. I'm not gonna sit here and tell you I have a PhD. Like you know you heard how my upbringing that's how I learned about it. I'm not you know I'm not like an academic in the art shit, but I know what makes something hot and I know what makes people tick in a way like oh like if you come off the street and you've never seen this how can I at least get your attention right? So music yeah. is a huge part of that. I think music any any event that I've been to. You can look at the music. You can cite that music was a key factor. You've never been like, oh, this event was amazing, and there was no music. Like, so for me, with Never Sleep, that's actually a, a partnership. You mentioned the homie Fab um, and then Rodney Hazard, who's who who came up with that with that platform idea, um, and uh, Alexis, uh, Classic New Wave is really the the four of us kind of working and jiving. But we've got homies like Silky Black and Wagwan Tuan, and obviously like Raisin Brand. It's like a collective, I would say. Um, but Rodney. He was inspired by that, um, being in the studio, working with engineers, and seeing engineers and being like, yo, I just left, I just left at like 4 a.m. and now I'm back at 5 and this guy hasn't left, the the sound guys. And you know, and being like, damn, they really never sleep, you know, mm -hmm. and that's, that's where that came from. But it made sense because it's a party series in New York, started in New York. Um, but it's really just for music discovery, create a vibe. We do a monthly radio show with... Uh, with wide radio nice. um, that streams it every. Congrats every, on that too, man. Thank you, bro. Thank yeah. you. So yeah, the next joint actually drops tomorrow. Uh, the last joint of the season, so it's the ninth episode, first season. We're gonna come back top of the year and really try to incorporate more interviews and things like that. Right now, it's just a three twenty minute mixes pulled together with the, the three DJs, you know, to give you different vibes. But um, mm -hmm. for the cultural LP, my goal is like, how do we have those services for a visual artist? Um, both established and then somebody that wants to learn. So that's where the media side comes in. But in terms of like, like I said, programming, artist development, um, and like brand strategy, all those things that labels used to provide right. that I'm seeing a shift in the gallery space now too. They're not really built to have those services, right? Yeah. Like the gallery is not going to bring you in and be like, yo, so I, I met with, um, I met with a brand manager over at, uh, let's say Lyft. And, you know, we want to partner with them on an exhibit to do, uh, an, an event in Miami, like, Galleries aren't gonna run those marketing conversations, those biz dev kind yep. of things. They don't really do that stuff. Um, they, you know, they they'll do PR things of that nature, mm -hmm. um, but it's changed so quickly. And like I feel like new galleries do a better job at that. But a lot of the more known ones are they kind of were already established. And mm -hmm. I think there's like a, a sweet spot to celebrate and support artists who aren't at that blue chip level who still need someone to bounce ideas off with, someone to help them reach new markets, someone to help them create content. Um, so right now, just working with those those artists I mentioned earlier, but that's the goal. The goal is to scale it that way. For sure. Um, and the media side of things is, how do we be a, a resource for, if you're an artist, right, you may have never thought you could go full-time because you didn't know you could get paid to do this. Or you, you thought you had to sell your work for X amount of money to get paid, but it's like, maybe your next step is a residency, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe you need to go spend three weeks in Massachusetts and really working your craft with other artists. And like mm. that could change your life. Right. But you don't know where to find those things. So we have the tech service, the culture hotline, um, as well as our email subscription, 
where you can sign up and you might find out about a job or you might find out about a grant that's open, et cetera. Mm-hmm. It was way more party focused before an event. And uh, an event, event uh, <laughs> that was funny. Um, and it was way more party focused and event focused prior. But I've, as time has gone on and seeing what's happened in the industry and in the marketing industry, that's that's where we're, those are the angles that we're looking to lean into. Um, so my next goal is to just watch any documentary, listen to any podcast I can about Motown, about all these things, and just Dope. really dig in more around what that means and how it can transfer to visual art. Absolutely, being a creative and being surrounded by all these creatives, but also having that corporate mm-hmm. um, experience and whatnot, what do you believe, like, what can you say that creatives can learn about the corporate side of the business, especially being inside the Brooklyn Museum and seeing mm-hmm. how the operations go, how mm-hmm. sourcing of art goes, how the programming goes. What can creatives, especially visual artists, learn about the corporate side of things? Oh, man. We, we could do a whole other podcast. Um, <laughs> but what I will say is, like whatever you think you know about it, uh, in terms of like from the outside looking in, like I've had, you know, friends or acquaintances ask me like, oh yeah, can you send this to somebody internally? Like I want them to either see my event or see my artwork or see whatever, you know, whatever that the thing that they think should be in the museum or owned by the museum or hosted at the museum. It's like whatever you think you know about that process is like times it by maybe three to five to ten, depending on the time of year. Like there's so many variables. Mm. The more people you add, the more partnerships you add, the more departments, it's just more people involved. So yeah, you know me who used to be the manager of, you know, senior manager of marketing, but I got to run this through, you know, by merchandise and by editorial and by, you know, or pass it to someone who... If it's a program, I'm not a program manager, right? I, I was doing marketing, so now I gotta go chop it up with somebody and be like, hey, I got this idea, or my excuse me, uh, this this is an idea that somebody put in front of me. You know, I think it might work for us based on this cultural. Like, it may or may not work based on that exhibition calendar because you got an event you want to do about um, about uh, let's say about like rose or something, for example, or about you know. But it's like, how can I sell that to programs? Because their goal is to put on programs that echo the exhibitions and the museum's audience. Or they might want mm-hmm. to, you know, they might want to make more money. Their sponsorship goals are low. So me bringing another event that yeah, we do events like this, but if it's not bringing them thirty thousand dollars, you know, mm-hmm. it's not going to get accelerated. And ticket sales are in like actual like art like, purchases. Like okay, so for example. A rentals department may do uh, special events, rentals, and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. So if it's a night where now you're asking just to have the space or rented at a discount, like people do weddings at the Brooklyn Museum. Like people have bar mitzvahs. People got money in New York. You know how it is. So it's like you're telling them to say no to 100 racks on your day or you're asking mm-hmm. to do something before a big-ass day they already got planned. They already have a rental for, let's say, the fashion awards that happened there, right? So if your event is before that and it's not going to bring in no dough, why, as if I'm in charge of that, not me, but the person who would be, why would I prioritize that, you know, Mm -hmm. in terms of time? Like, they're just people, too, that have things to get done, whether Mm -hmm. it's a program, artwork, whatever. If you're a curator, you got artists that you're looking at in the market that you want to pitch to the board and to the collections committee to get collected. So if I just come to you as a marketing guy with an email, with a photo, like, yo, get this, like, we should cop this. Like, it's not a report with your art net research and all these prizes. There's so many levels. There's so many levels. I would just say there's so, like, there's so many levels. And to not lean too hard on the plug. If anything, use the plug for insight right. versus the transaction, right? Because mm-hmm. a lot of times people will reach out to me because I was working there. 
but not knowing all the things we just discussed. Right, for sure. Other shit that we got going on. How can we just be on the same frequency and build with each other? Might not happen next month. It might not happen while I'm even working at Brooklyn Museum. But let's try to have a little bit more longevity with each other in that sense. So, and I know how that is too, because if you build your own thing, you you're trying to figure something out. You're trying to connect the dots. But I was like, just have patience and notice wild layers. You know. Absolutely. Mm. Talk about talk about the layers of that cake real quick, cause you yeah. just did say a lot, yeah. so we want to unpack that. Yeah, yeah for so, sure. For sure. As far as uh, an artist who would like to, you know, approach your museum or what have you, what are try to uh, keep this simple like yep. what are five things that they need to be mindful of mm-hmm. or have or prepare because you, you yep. just said you, you went from you know making sure that date is right right using the plug as right. a as resource inside, yeah and then you also said you know there's another layer about like art net and uh, okay and stuff like yep, that. so yep, yep, yep. all encompassing what are yep. like five things Cool. Amongst the myriad. I would say, I mean, as a baseline, as an artist, having your portfolio locked up, you know what I'm saying? Like, don't just send loose files. Like, have, send me something, a proposal. It's treated like business, right? Like, mm-hmm. you want to send a proposal. So, I would say, the way you're representing your artwork, a proposal. Um, timing, when you said it, the timing has to be right. Have a sense of, one, the timing that you want, that you would desire, what's ideal for you, not just, like, ASAP. And also a sense of what is happening at the institution. So if you have a plug leaning on the insight, if you're pitching, you know, you want something at the Whitney, like, what do they, they have, they probably have their calendar up for like the next three, four or five years, right? You know, like that's wow. ideal. That's ideal to have like a two to three year plus calendar. So three. Um, fourth, man, I would just say have patience, right? <laughs> have patience. And then fifth, have persistence. So <laughs> have your shit together. Know when you need to get it done. You know what I'm saying? And uh, have some patience with that, bro, because it's going to take a minute. And these white folks been at this game for a long time. So yeah. <laughs> it's not good so, for us. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to switch your gear real quick. So yeah. you said patience, right? All right. Um, you're known to be in circles a meditator. Mm-hmm. Um, and meditation does give people allegedly you know what I'm right, right i've right. never personally tried it <laughs> but you're but pretty calm dude though from what i've been able to see it's some it comes and goes it's <laughs> like anything like anything but anything. um yeah so but yeah you you, you seem to be a very um thoughtful and, and um prayerful person can you talk a little bit about your experience with meditation what led you to that um, yeah impasse yeah and i'll try to keep it um succinct in a way without because there's a lot of wandering roads with that um i was introduced through meditation actually through a corporate job so that's a benefit of one of those things which as a creative is helped me to this day this cat andre used to run group meditations uh for the office every monday at like six o'clock right so i was like well give it a shot he's guided meditation it's just introducing you to it and i realized how much better i felt after those sessions, this was like maybe five five years ago, four four or five years ago at least. Mm-hmm. Um, I realized how much better I felt. I didn't have a practice of my own at that point, um, but he recommended also binaural beats on Spotify and YouTube, mm-hmm. so you can just listen to these like trans trancey like sounds. What's it called? Binaural? binaural beats. So mm-hmm. it's like it's not. It's a tone. It's a tone. Yeah, it's a tone. It like it it uh it's something you wouldn't hear if you only listen out of one ear. For example, you have to listen to both ears at the same time, and it helps you relax and take the messages in different ways. There's some more technical shit we could get into. Um, but so did that for a bit and then really never developed a practice till after my father passed away. 
um, May 15th, 2017, and it was like... My condolences again. Yeah, thanks, man. It's been, you know, a journey every day. Yeah. Um, but uh, my mom had actually found a flyer for what's called Buddhist Insights, which they, they are on Rockaway Beach on 67th Street, 68th Street, and they have, uh, in Far Rock, and they have uh, weekly meditations, they have weekend meditation retreats, all types of things. So for years I've been using binaural beats, kind of meditating, doing affirmations here and there, but it wasn't until like I went for that weekend and had to sit in silence for a weekend, no phone, you know, after probably the biggest event in my life, you know, maybe a week after he had passed away. And I'm sitting there like, yo, this is gonna be the worst weekend of my life. I was gonna be silent. I've been crying every day for the last seven days. Like I'm gonna be with all these strangers. I don't know what's gonna happen. It's vegan. Oh, this nigga's gonna be starving. Like <laughs> you know what I mean? Like <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like I was like, this is gonna be terrible. Um, and I went, and it was it was life changing. Like you, you never stop. You never actually stop doing what you're doing. So to stop for two days and be in a house full of strangers and probably one of the few black folks at that that weekend, um, and have to sit with yourself and really observe your thoughts. It changed my perspective on that and I've been trying to make time for that ever since. And then homie Jason Mowat, um, he is big into Muse, which is a headband that senses your um, your like data activity, your brain activity in a way. It's a Bluetooth device. Um, he actually caught me one because um, we had a chat at Hill House and uh, he said, you know, I think this would be good for you. Like, I know you're doing your affirmations. I know you're doing this, but I think if you meditated every day, cause I still didn't meditate every day after that Buddhist experience. I would go there every couple months, whatever. So he was like, I think it'd be really good for you. And he caught me when I got in the mail at the at the museum. I was like, wow, this is crazy. And uh, after a couple of days of me using it, he dropped me in a group chat, uh, which I don't even think he's in the group chat no more. He's like kind of just giving us the platform for that. Um, but Kenji's in there. A bunch of cats I haven't met in person actually are in there. Um, a couple that I have, Mikel, Ken, um, Kev, who uh, manages Topaz, uh, uh, it's a bunch of dope cats in the chat and women too. Shout out to Brittany. Um, but we talk every day. Well, depending on the time of year, how people go about like, how's your practice going? We're encouraging each other. If we're gonna meet at Hill House, we'll drop a line in the chat. So that's really helped a lot. Mm -hmm. um, that's really helped make it uh, something that is part of my everyday now. Even if I don't do it every day with the app, which I've stopped doing, I'm doing it. You know, it's less about the score and the app and more about mm. just finding time for yourself. Like, I said, when I pulled up, when you and Alex walked by and I'm honking the horn at you, yeah. I was like, yo, I was a little early, but not super early. I was like, I'm just <laughs> put a little three-minute timer on. Just sat in a chair, yeah. kind of gathered myself. I've been in meetings all day. So it was like finding space for yourself. It's really about self, self-care, self but yeah. it's really about finding that space for yourself. We hop on the phone, we hop in cabs, we hop on calls with people, meet with people, but we when are you checking in with yourself, you know? Mm. So, so that's how I'm treating it right now. How does it help you um, in your curatorial process? Because art is a great deal of noise, but it's like it's just a different type of noise, right? Right. right. A lot of colors sometimes. Right. It's just like right. different thoughts. Right. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, art is definitely a different type of noise, right? It's like, it's a different type of uh, cacophony or whatever you want to call it. There's a lot of stuff going on. Um, but I would say, for, as a, from like a business side, a sports side, a curatorial side, what it helps me do is just, what, um, what, what I would say art helps me do is really just, uh, sorry, what meditation helps me do is really just get to the root of like what's important. Like, so 
as somebody, as you guys can attest to, you have a lot of things going on, a lot of irons in the fire, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. You can kind of get caught up on like, oh, what's what's next? Like, what should I actually do right now? Like, yeah, I got 76 unread emails, but I actually got a deadline due. I got a deadline for a proposal so we can do an exhibition tomorrow, right? And like, I haven't sat with it yet. Let me sit with that. Whereas before I really got into a practice, I might have been like, oh, let me answer emails because people are waiting for me. You know what I'm saying? Now I don't care because I'm calm. And it's like, they got to understand that if they don't, then it's not meant to be, right? So from an art perspective, it lets me also see what is something making me feel, right? So if, if Pat sends me a piece and I'm, you know, out and about, maybe before I might have looked at it and then been like, word, or like with an emoji or something, or now I like wait till I get back to the crib to actually look at it if it's you know a text or something or if he sends me a video of like a new space that he's working out of i actually wait and like give it the energy it deserves versus like trying to do it all at the same time mm-hmm. so that's helped a lot and like i said you see a piece and you know what resonates with you you're like oh that's making me feel this instead of that's making me feel something it's like oh that's making me feel fear because it's it, it displays the unknown in a way or you know whatever it is but i can tap in a little bit deeper within myself about what emotions are popping up when i'm looking at art or listening to music and shit like that yeah absolutely um i want to ask you a question too how do you define culture word um i define culture as the the results of like human creativity right so whether that's you know, the clothes you have on today, like somebody thought about that, somebody created that, and it interacts sure, life. And it interacts with the rest of us. So it's like the outputs of human creativity and how that affects society beyond that. So if that makes sense. So if I make some shit and somebody sees it and they think it's dope and now you're having a conversation about it, I've created culture. If I if I think about um, a, a song I heard and I ask you what you what you think about it and th- now that artist has just created culture, right? That that person who made that song is creating culture because it's not just the output of creativity, but the what comes from that, right? Like what if a kid sees Ron's work in a in a school, and now he's in gym class, and he might not he might not realize why he feels better, but he feels a little better because it's like reds and colors around him and positive affirmations that you don't realize you're creating culture. So that's kind of how I would define it. Dope, dope, man. Yo, happy to have you on the podcast, brother. Um, we ask all our our guests this, um, and first we you know salute and shout out to you for all the work you've put in, empowering creatives, just Thanks, all the stuff you've been doing in the community and in the corporate space. Um, we're watching. Before I even get to the last, you know, question, you've been building legacy here in New York City, and now you're you know you're based in LA, going back and forth. Um, what do you see for yourself, or where do you plan on going in the next you know five ten years? Yeah, I mean, uh, for me, hopefully. Five ten years, me and Danny will have a a little one at least if she let me. If she let me, right? Like, shirt. <laughs> just that if she lets me, like answers a lot of questions. Um, and then I would say, um, from a professional standpoint, I would love to have scaled this model uh, a bit further, where you know we got a gallery space in say, you know, upstate New York with around a house. We can do an artist residency every every spring for a month, you know, or every year artists are resi- rotating out of that. Um, uh, I would like to say from like a management standpoint, like, oh, we got strategic partnerships with these three museums in nice. LA, Paris, New York, you know, Ghana. Why not? Like, why not? So that's kind of like yeah. blue sky, what it could look like. Or it could be super simple and we work on these four, 
these four exhibitions and that's just what we do. But I think in five, 10 years, like if I keep going at this rate and, and God keeps, you know, being as uh, gracious as, as they are, I think that uh, that's what it'll be. So bro. Amazing, bro. Amazing, bro. And what we ask all our Driven Society guests is, you know, what drives you, brother? What's that thing that, you know, makes you keep going throughout the struggle, the hardships that come, the obstacles? What's that thing that wakes you up in the morning? It's like, nah, I got to keep getting to it. Yeah. What's that for you? Um, and it's, it's my Right now, it's my pops. I would say it's my parents, mm. but specifically my father, um, knowing that uh, I'm here to do work that he wasn't uh, privileged enough to get to do. And that's a lot of reason why I want to support creatives. It's like, you can do this full time. Like, you can get money doing anything. So why not? You know, but it's it's that spirit, and he had this. He was just a funny cat that um, he cared about everybody around him. So uh, I, that's my drive. That's my that's what drives me. It's the legacy of my father. There you have it, the good brother Michael Tong. Please look out for this guy. Thank you. Um, let him know where they can find you on the socials and everything. Oh yeah, on the social media things uh, <laughs> at Mikey seven one eight underscore. So that's M I K E Y seven one eight underscore, and then at the Culture LP. Like culture, lifestyle, and progress. So on, same on everything. So I'm sure. Is there visual artists in the community that we should be, you know, keeping our eye on and just like, you know, paying right. attention? Um, yeah. Besides the folks I work with, <laughs> I will. Uh, sure. I will. Uh, I'll definitely shout out to. Um, they're a little bit more established, but a lot of people don't know. But it's like Devin B. Johnson is is, is popping a, a lot right now. Mm. Um, he has a solo show coming up in L. A. Um, that'll be dope. And I don't know him personally. Um. But I think he went to school out here in New York, and now he's back in L.A. And then um, I really like uh, Jordan Castile's work, a uh, black woman who, she's, like, it's funny because, you know, people get validated by the market, but then you're like, damn, I've been seeing this. Like, you know, like something happens where a museum cops, and you're like, I've been seeing this. Yeah. Um, also, Amy Sherald, those three. So you asked for one, I gave you three. Uh, but Amy Sherald, who did the Michelle Obama portrait, um, oh. she has a solo show up, actually, right now in Chelsea that I want to check out before I fly back out to L.A. Sweet. Yeah. Dope. You already know. I'm going, going. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Real life bars. Man. Yeah, shit. But yeah, Mike, appreciate you. Definitely thank you for uh, spending time with us, man. Like we always say at this time. Stay driven. Yeah.